Welcome back to The Whiskey Reporter. I am your host, Steve Kerr. This is now our third episode. Thank you for tuning in. Just a quick note, and I'm happy to tell you this, that our podcast can now be found on Apple, Google, Amazon, and is also on Spotify. So now there are a number of ways that you can listen to the show other than by going into the show's web address, which is thewhiskeyreporter.buzzsprout.com. If you like the show, please don't be shy. Let others know about it, post a review, and please remember to subscribe as that will really help the show gain some traction. All right, now that I've gotten that one housekeeping item out of the way, let's get started with what I think is going to be a fun episode as we continue down the whiskey trail together. So what do I have in store for you today? Well, today I'm spotlighting the Buffalo Trace Distillery. I'll be offering my tasting notes for their Buffalo Trace bourbon and the highly coveted and sought after Blanton single barrel bourbon. From there, I'll get into my whiskey tip for the week and then I'll round out the show with some whiskey news. However, before I get into any of that, I don't know if any of you out there saw this or it came across your newswire, but a bottle of the Glen Grant 72-year-old Gordon and McPhail whiskey just went up for auction in Hong Kong this past week, and it sold for, get this, it sold for over $54,000. For those who are unaware, Gordon and McPhail is an independent bottler. They take their whiskey from over 100 Scottish distilleries and place it in their own casks, age it, and when it's deemed ready, they release it as their own signature whiskey. Okay, so think about this. It sold for a staggering $54,000 and change. Now, before any of you go there, let me save you the suspense. It wasn't me. Sadly, my wife wouldn't let me take out a second loan to be able to afford it. Even though I pleaded with her, I told her that it was a -a one-of-a-kind whiskey She just wouldn't budge. But someone out there won it and probably in the same regard saved my marriage. But for those curious eyes, and I was one of them, who want to take a peek at this bottle, you can go to distilla.com to find it. That's D-I-S-T-I-L-A dot com. It's, I got to tell you, it's absolutely gorgeous. You'll see it resting in a stunning Darlington crystal decanter with an American walnut presentation box. So enjoy. So to the lucky soul that got to take this rare and exceptional whiskey home to their private collection, allow me to say, cheers. But not all good whiskey has to have such a hefty price tag. And as we'll soon see, the Buffalo Trace Distillery produces a number of excellent whiskey at an affordable cost. And so with that, let's talk a little bit about Buffalo Trace. Set in the city of Frankfort, Kentucky, The Buffalo Trace Distillery has been in existence for over 150 years, changing names a few times over those years as well as owners, and has now been owned by the Sazerac Company since 1992. They offer an entire arsenal of brands, about 22 in all. You've probably heard of a few of their more well-known popular brands like Buffalo Trace, Eagle Rare, Sazerac Rye. E.H. Taylor is another really good one that borders on the slightly rare territory. And you've probably still also heard of a few of the other more popular and hard-to-come-by brands such as Blanton's, Van Winkle, and George T. Stagg, and there are many more than that. They really do have something for everyone at this distillery. The Buffalo Trace Distillery has a, a deep history to it that predates the Civil War. But as far as distilling is concerned, 
things didn't really start to heat up until about 1858, when a man by the name of Daniel Swigert built a small distillery along the banks of the Kentucky River. Twelve years later, the distillery was purchased by Colonel Edmund Haynes Taylor, Jr., dubbed the father of the modern bourbon industry. Taylor was the grandson of former President Zachary Taylor, and like his grandfather, he had a bit of a stint in politics himself, serving both as mayor and state representative during his lifetime. Although he was never a colonel in the military, don't ever get that into your heads, but he was given that honorary title for his service to the state of Kentucky. Taylor began distilling by using old-fashioned wood-fire copper stills to produce his whiskey, and his innovations are still being practiced today, and his achievements continue to inspire many. In 1878, the OFC Distillery, as Taylor had so called it, was purchased by a gentleman by the name of George T. Stagg, who was a former captain of the Union Army, served throughout the duration of the American Civil War. This change in ownership came about as a result of Taylor incurring financial hardship, although Taylor did stay on to oversee operations of the distillery. Both men, through Stagg's successful sales background and Taylor's fine art for distilling, they would perform the perfect pairing to ensure the distillery's long-term success. As the 19th century was coming to a close, the OSC distillery, as it was still known, had modified its warehouses for proper storage of their barrels and employed a steam heating system in those warehouses, the first distillery to do so, mind you, which is still in practice today. But just prior to the century's close, a man by the name of Albert B. Blanton would team up with both Stagg and Taylor and the three of them would make history, producing what was then and is now some of the finest whiskeys in the world. In the early 1900s, Blanton would assume the role of stillhouse, warehouse, and bottling superintendent, and the distillery was then given a new name, rechristened as the George T. Stagg Distillery. When Prohibition hit in January of 1920, the distillery was one of few to remain open, selling whiskey for medicinal purposes. And by the time that Prohibition was abolished in 1933, it was one of just four Kentucky distilleries left capable of producing whiskey. In 1949, just four years after the conclusion of World War II, the distillery welcomed a new hire, a man by the name of Elmer T. Lee, who would work his way up from maintenance engineer all of the way to plant manager and master distiller. In 1984, Lee would honor the man who took a chance on hiring him those many years ago by introducing Blanton's whiskey to the world, the world's first single-barrel bourbon. Lee, too, would be honored with his own single-barrel namesake a few years later. A man beloved by the state of Kentucky and the bourbon industry, Lee's contributions continue to live on. He passed away at the age of 94 in 2013, leaving a formidable legacy. As I tried to explain at our very first show, every whiskey has a story to tell, and it's so true. Whiskey is, is more than just a measure of alcohol, and you realize that when you examine the history of each distillery, the men and the women that made it happen, the time that it takes to produce something of such quality. It's really quite incredible. When you create a whiskey, as the great Scottish master distiller Jim McEwen has said, you produce a spirit. In essence, and he's so right. There's a depth, there's a meaning to every whiskey produced because of the stories attached to it, because of the people behind it. And you know, that makes it transcendent. 
That's why, my friends, it's called a spirit. So each time you pour a glass of whiskey, take a few seconds to ponder, or at the very least, acknowledge the many named and countless unnamed people who helped to create what you are about to enjoy. And that, that is a great segue into the next part of the show, as it's time to see what all the fuss is about and taste these very two fine whiskeys from Buffalo Trace. The Buffalo Trace Bourbon and Blanton Single Barrel. If you're at home listening and have either bottle of the two handy or both, go ahead and pour a glass and join me as our senses embark upon what should be a very fun and rewarding journey. Okay, first in the glass is the Buffalo Trace Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Recently won the gold medal 2020 American Whiskey Masters competition. Bottled at 45%. The color on this whiskey is, I'd say, probably more burnished, perhaps deep amber. Its nose is candied sweet corn, a touch of spice, some caramel, vanilla, mint, Mint comes up after a few minutes in the glass, and finishing off with some slight molasses. On the palate, the palate has a lot of sweet brown sugar, a touch of oak and toffee, warm candied fruit, and subdued spice. The finish is warm, spicy and very smooth, going down the back of the throat. You know, this this whiskey has been labeled, and I think falsely, it's been called the poor man's Blanton's. But this whiskey has the legs to stand on its own. It doesn't deserve to be cast in the shadow of another. It's very affordable, if that is you can find it. It goes for about 32 US dollars, maybe more depending on where you shop. It's great to enjoy neat or on the rocks. And it also goes well in a cocktail. A few cocktails to enjoy with this one would be an old-fashioned, a mint julep, especially since there are hints of mint on the nose of this bourbon, and it goes well in a gabardine hightail. If you're interested in any of those recipes, you can easily find them on Google. So that was the Buffalo Trace Kentucky Straight Bourbon. Now it's time to taste the Blantons. Now for those who are listening who aren't aware, when a whiskey description says single barrel, that means that particular whiskey came from one barrel. It's never been blended. This sour mash bourbon whiskey is named in honor of the before-mentioned Albert Blanton. It's 46%. The color on this is burnished, uh, maybe maybe a deep copper. Uh, the nose, wow, you get nutmeg, white pepper, allspice, fruitcake or Christmas cake, vanilla, slight polished notes, heather honey, and sweet caramel corn. On the palate, charred oak comes forth right away, followed by a burst of caramel candied corn, slight pepper, fading to vanilla, and some honey notes. The finish has a slight burn. The nutmeg and spice returns as it flows out of the back of the throat, leaving some sweet honey, vanilla, and the charred oak in its wake. Look, this whiskey is very, very good. It's one to cherish, definitely too rare, and too good to be an everyday drinker. Save it for some special occasions, 
or when you feel like just having a damn fine bourbon. A lot of people ask me if the hype is real on this one. I'll answer that question by saying, whenever I see it at a liquor store, I don't leave without buying a bottle. And if they have more, I usually grab a few. You just, you never know when it, when or where it's ever going to pop up. So if you can get your hands on a bottle, be thankful, as there are many who would love to jump at a chance to get one. Now, that said, there are some liquor stores who love to upcharge these bottles, and I hate seeing it, but they do, um, because of their scarcity. Now, luckily, I shop at a place where the price is very reasonable. I get it for $64.99 at my local store, but I've seen it for much, much higher. Just keep that in mind when shopping for it. Generally, and this is my personal opinion, if you're spending over $80, $85, you're overspending. Now, if you absolutely need it, you've got to have it. Maybe price isn't an issue, but you should always have a limit in mind when purchasing your whiskey, or else things can get out of hand really fast. Trust me, I know what that's like. For those Blanton's enthusiasts, the brand offers a gold edition, a straight barrel, as well as a black and single barrel special reserve green label on the international market. I have some of those which I was fortunate enough to buy at auction recently, and perhaps I'll dedicate a show in the future, or at least listing my tasting notes on them. I'm, I'm sure we can make that happen. You know, it really, it really is always a treat to discuss good whiskey, especially if it's Blanton's. For me, it ticks all the boxes in what you would want in a bourbon. I hope it does for you too. Up next, it's time for my whiskey tip for the week. This week's whiskey tip has to do with how you store your whiskey bottles. Now, some of you may be saying, what does he mean, store my bottles? I usually just leave them on the counter in the kitchen or in my home bar. If you do this, don't panic. You haven't committed a whiskey sin, as they say, but I encourage you to maybe consider storing them somewhere else, especially if you're older and you're nicer whiskeys. As you all should know, alcohol, much like other things in life, has a shelf life. And while whiskey is a type of alcohol that can last much, much longer than, say, beer or even most wines, there are factors, let's call them enemies of the spirit, that can cause it to change or diminish in quality if it's not stored in the proper environment. So can any of you listening think of any? What would be an enemy of whiskey? Well, heat is one that comes directly to my mind. Extremely warm temperatures will eventually affect the taste negatively. It's true that there are some benefits for aging whiskey in warmer climates. For one thing, the whiskey ages quicker. But once it's out of the barrel and into the bottle, heat is no longer the whiskey's friend. For this reason, it's wise to store your whiskey in a cellar or a basement, someplace cool where the temperature stays moderately consistent. Okay, so what's another enemy? Sunlight, right. Sunlight is another enemy of whiskey. If you put a bottle in direct sunlight before too long, chemical reactions are going to begin to happen, and it's going to degrade the spirit. So be sure to keep it out of the light. Lastly, make sure the seal on your bottle is still in good condition. Examining the cork as well. If stored in a particularly dry environment, the cork can dry out and begin to rot, thus creating pockets for air to creep into the bottle, which will change the chemistry of your whiskey. A good rule of practice is to store your bottles in a cool, dark place. 
where the humidity levels are at least around 45%, but preferably higher. Near the 55 to 60% range would be preferable, which should then help prevent the cork from drying out. Do this especially, I'm serious, do this especially if you're thinking of starting any type of whiskey collection. I have a few unopened bottles of Macallan Edition 1 that I bought for 119 retail just four years ago. And they're now selling on auction for well over $1,500 a bottle. And so it's in my best interest and the best interest of the whiskey to keep it in the appropriate place, especially since I haven't decided yet if I'm going to drink or sell them, which is why I have a space that I created underneath my basement steps where I store my bottles. The air in our basement tends to be more on the dry side, so to combat that, I bought an evaporative humidifier to help maintain the humidity levels that I want. Now, I realize that it's personal preference when it comes to where or how you store your bottles, but I just want to caution you regarding some of those places. That has been your whiskey tip for the week. Next up is whiskey news. Well, U.S. tariffs that hit the EU back in 2018 have hurt distilleries on both sides of the Atlantic over the past few years, especially affecting smaller distillers. Bars and restaurants continue to feel the impact from those tariffs as well, along with the COVID pandemic, with sales being down over 40% last year. Retail, however, saw a 16% increase in sales over that year, but has dropped slightly in the last quarter. Many within the whiskey industry are hoping that the administration change could help ease the disputes in those tariffs. The Distilled Spirits Council of the United States says they look forward to potential changes and relief that the Biden administration can offer. Heaven Hill Brands just announced their new environmental sustainability strategy for the coming decade as they endeavor to diminish excess cost and lower carbon emissions of operations by 30%. Despite an ongoing pandemic, Buffalo Trace Distillery announces strong visitation numbers for the 2020 year. The distillery brought in almost 300,000 visitors back in 2019, while in 2020, with the distillery being closed to the public from March to July 1st, it still managed to bring in over 145,000 visitors into the distillery. As a follow-up to our news segment from last week, Mitchell & Sons' Blue Spot label has found its way onto U.S. shelves this past week. Quantities are limited, so if you don't manage to snag a bottle this time around, there is hope, as I was assured that more will be coming throughout the course of the year. Finally, Scotland's largest whiskey festival has announced it's going virtual in April, with the full festival now moved to November due to COVID restraints. You can find the full program for the virtual festival in April by going to www.spiritofspayside.com or by typing in the words Whiskey Festival on Facebook or the name Spirit underscore on Twitter. If you decide to attend this one-of-a-kind virtual event, perhaps I'll see you there. Okay, that should just about do it for this week's show. Be sure to reach out to me with any questions or thoughts about the show. I can be reached at the email address thewhiskeyreporter at gmail.com 
or you can find me on Facebook or Twitter under the same name. Tell your friends about the show. Please give it a like or post a review and subscribe. Next week, I'll be taking us across the pond to the majestic highlands of Scotland, where I'll be featuring the ever-popular and highly acclaimed Glenmorangie Distillery. But to find out what whiskeys of theirs I'll be tasting, you'll have to tune in next week. Until then, stay safe and remember, if you're going to imbibe, don't drink and drive. Please enjoy your whiskey responsibly. This is Steve Kerr, and you've been listening to The Whiskey Reporter. Cheers, everyone.